you live with um, rock and roll and popular music, the more devoted you become, the more uh, pacified you find yourself, the more satisfied you are with simple songs. And um, every mother's son, come on down to my boat, baby, is about as pure and simple and natural and true a sentiment as we have. I find that songs like Wooly Bully and uh, 96 Tears and Good Lord Louie Louie, these are the ones that uh, continue to amaze uh, at their simplicity and their immediate, um, urgent, delightful, smile-creating power. And the title of this podcast. I'm not sure yet what it's going to be. It's 157, and it'll either be Sing a Simple Song, or it will be The Shakers. But it's an attempt to talk a little bit about the simplicity of good endings, the simplicity of happy endings. There are very few happy endings in life. This is what I actually believe. I'm not a person who believes that the glass is half full. And experience, for what it's worth, and it may not be your experience, has taught me that the the endings of the normal human self are fairly uh, despondent and um, bruised, and that the overall um, trajectory of later life is an arithmetic decline. 
Certainly not a geometric decline in most cases, although in some, yes, and uh, nor is it uh, an arithmetic progress, which is really what we would want, wouldn't it be? I mean, wouldn't we want to have a life that is uh, uh, based on um, positive hope? Each day the word comes in to home plate here that someone else whom we know has committed suicide. Just today I heard about someone who had, quote, taken poison at a very advanced age, someone I know, whatever taken poison was in his particular case, and is uh, suddenly and completely dead. And uh, it's usually hushed up. But I do actually really believe, as you know, that the uh, ending is positive and uh, the trajectory is arithmetically on the side of the contraption. And I thought I would share just a couple of little sources that are in my mind before I take a, a break for a couple uh, of, um, of weeks because of some other things I have to do. And this is podcast 157 on happy endings, but happy endings that are true. And the um, the power of this uh, seemed to come initially from dwelling on the ending of the um, movie, a little bit of which I spoke about last time in the podcast I Am Curious Orange, the movie entitled I Am Curious Blue, in which the adventures of Lena which take many, many negative turns and are really founded on some extremely um, tragic impasses in her own relationships and experience of life. She is a very used and abused young person, not just in the psychosexual manner, but at every level as it comes to be revealed. And yet the ending, especially of I Am Curious Blue, more than I Am Curious Yellow, has one of these kind of slightly... um, There's just a little bit of the contraption because uh, at the end of a terrible thing, uh, medically, that she has uh, suffered, she emerges from the hospital with um, someone whom we're never quite sure is her lover or her erstwhile lover or her putative lover or her victorious lover or her defeated lover. Um, But she emerges and um, the last thing she sees is... uh, a little boy and uh, presumably the child's mother and uh, she smiles she sees uh, something that is good something that is positive something that is happy youth and hope and uh, even though the filmmaker puts in a couple of funnyisms at the end which make you laugh in fact and tie it all together they don't take away from the fact that Lena who's only 20 or 22 at the most actually smiles. And it kind of says that despite all the um, terrible things, uh, there is a kind of hopefulness at the end that is uh, communicative and uh, says something real. Now, to me, it says something about the nature of reality, which is good, or God. What is it? God is good. Good is God. All the time he is good. I always forget that kind of mantra that I've heard in men's retreats in the past, but I believe it. And I thought I would read to you today from a couple of uh, happy endings that also are realistic endings. And uh, the first is from uh, um, the 1893 novel uh, I Admire So, and which I profoundly recommend to every reader of this cast. It's only, let's see now, 129 pages short pages, and you have to get it off the uh, internet, but it's available through an internet edition off of the uh, 
uh, you can get it. It's called Mark Rutherford's Deliverance and was originally published in 1893 and is one of William Hale White's six great novels. I think it's one of his best. And in it, uh, first he comes to some conclusions about the nature of religious life at the end of this book, which is uh, a kind of gentle and very credible and very uh, touching emergence from darkness and delight. Based upon his own experience in the ministry, you can see that I'd identify with this, um, and I think anyone could identify with it who's sort of come into a place of tremendous um, brick wallishness and uh, nevertheless finds that uh, that he's not been left alone, you might say, to his own devices. And one of the things he comes to on page 115 is a an understanding about the nature of uh, of what's really important, and this is what he writes. How foolish it is to try and cure by argument what time will cure so completely and so gently if left to itself. As I get older, the anxiety to prove myself right if I quarrel dies out. I hold my tongue and time vindicates me, if it is possible to vindicate me, or convicts me if I am wrong. Many and many a debate, too, which I have had with myself alone has been settled in the same way. The question has been put aside and has lost its importance. The ancient church thought, and seriously enough, that all the vital interests of humanity were bound up with the controversies upon the divine nature. But the centuries have rolled on, and who cares for those controversies now? This is a theme in Rutherford's very acute theological work. All of his novels relate to Christianity at a deep level, and that's one of the reasons why they never really caught on, even in Edwardian England. They were a little too religious for the secular people, and they're too really um, kind of uh, uh, neutral about especially evangelical religion for evangelical readers, although they are steeped and ultimately blessed by a spirit of redemptive hope uh, that uh, suffuses these novels, every word of them. But I want to uh, read the actual conclusion to this most amazing novel. Mark Rutherford's Deliverance. Having finally found um, the love of his life, whose name is Ellen, who's actually been married before um, and whose husband has died, and uh, there's a very tragic, um, really very um, on-the-edges story to Ellen's life that involves uh, adultery on the part of her husband and a true scandal during which she stayed true to her husband, who was in fact the subject and the object of the scandal, and uh, not she herself. And she stays true to him, and they have a child and emigrate very far away from her earlier life. But she comes back by uh, the contraption's chance into the life of uh, Mark Rutherford, the protagonist. And um, they're brought together, and she has a daughter from her first marriage. So a single mother becomes married to the man who's always really loved her, Mark Rutherford. And uh, they go off um, to have a kind of country walk on a Sunday. He's a very hard worker and has a terrible job. And um, right when he thought that all was well, both his wife and his daughter contracted um, overnight, simultaneously, fatal illnesses. Now, again, through the help of the contraction, contraption, both Ellen, his wife, and Marie, their daughter, have survived this uh, terrible um, uh, illness. And they've both, they're both alive, and they're very, uh, we would say today, lucky to be alive. And one of their first, you might say, acts of kind of uh, new hope and resurgence in their life is to go off on a Sunday, the only time he ever has to himself. And they go on a kind of Sunday trip out into the country. And we read this. 
By moving a little towards the external edge of our canopy, we beheld the plain all spread out before us, bounded by the heights of Sussex and Hampshire. It was veiled with the most tender blue, and above it was spread a sky which was white on the horizon and deepened by degrees into azure over our heads. The exhilaration of the air satisfied Marie, this is the little girl, although she had no playmate, and there was nothing special with which she could amuse herself. She wandered about looking for flowers and forms and was content. We were all completely happy. We strained our eyes to see the furthest point before us, and we tried to find it on the map we had brought with us. The season of the year, which is usually supposed to make men pensive, had no such effect upon us. Everything in the future, even the winter in London to come, was painted by hope, and the death of the summer brought no sadness. Rather did summer, dying in such fashion, fill our hearts with repose, and even more than repose, with actual joy." Now, there is a post-note to the biography by the editor Ruben Shafkot, which draws a kind of curtain over that remarkable, modest, credible, beautiful ending, and yet even that um, is uh, suffused with uh, 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 the uh, something in the uh, major rather than in the minor key. And uh, I think that um, that is a masterpiece of credible real, contraption-orientated hope after a time of absolute despair and almost complete ending. And I love that ending. Now I'm going to read two others and then conclude with a piece of music, which is a little bit uh, more high uh, octane than anything you're hearing. But, you know, this is the way um, actually um, it is uh, true to life. I live across the street, Mary and I do, from a nursing home. And... uh, Many people die there. Uh, it's a, it's an, not an exactly an extended care facility, but it's a place where people um, um, who are very, very, very ill and very ancient uh, live and, and die. And um, it's there all the time. And for so many people, life ends in one little room, rich or poor, um, powerful or um, impuissant, <laughs> Uh, people of all shapes, conditions, ethnicities, identities, so to speak, and ages, everybody uh, who ends up in this place uh, ends up in a little tiny room, often shared. And uh, you always want to say, in a real sense, because it's the nature of physical decline, how the mighty have fallen, and there we are. And so it is very remarkable when you could end your life in a place of uh, genuine happiness as opposed to um, dissolution and uh, uh, resentment and uh, the profoundest sort of disappointment. And the vision of uh, William Hale White, and he himself ended his life, his very long life, on a note of hype, uh, not a note of hype, quite the contrary to that, but a note of genuine hope through his marriage with... uh, uh, Dorothy, the woman he married in the last years of his life when he'd been a widow for a long time, and the joy that she brought him. And at the end of his novel, which was also, I think, published in 1893, I think his greatest novel, although all of his novels, every one has something important and wonderful in it. You could say that Miriam's schooling is his greatest novel. It's in a way his least religious, but oh, gosh... It has the same kind of ending as I'm talking about. Most of his novels end with a degree of hope that is absolutely credible and even religious without being grandiose. And uh, Catherine Furs is the example, and then I'm going to read one other document, and then uh, we'll hear something before I take a couple weeks' break here. 
The conclusion of Catherine Furs involves um, a clergyman, um, and I am not this clergyman, by the way, but he is, interestingly enough, a young evangelical low church uh, Simeonite clergyman from Cambridge whom uh, Catherine meets and who is uh, Church of England and uh, very sincere and very self-absorbed and really awful and very sincere, but completely has knows nothing of himself. He is completely hidden from himself, and therefore his relationship with his wife is is uh, very self-absorbed and unloving. And through some a major coming to uh, terms, he has a powerful internal fall. Not an external fall, by the grace of God, but an internal fall. And he plummets. There's a scene in I'm Curious Blue where something very bad is happening between really bad and this case. That's not detumescent to say it. Uh, it is something really awful is happening between a, uh, a very, very liberal ideological professor and his very young student at the top of a uh, kind of amusement park ride in Stockholm. And uh, this is to show the extraordinary hypocrisy of this nonviolent and so-called completely left-wing um, professor who's 25 years older than the um, than the student. And what's fortunately in the movie, uh, the ride ends up, it's one of these parachute type rides that they don't know where you're suddenly dropped 30 feet, kind of, you know, you're up there uh, way high above Stockholm or Walt Disney World or Universal Studios and thump, you fall uh, 60, 70 feet, but are kind of in a parachute or it's a cushioned fall. And just at the right moment, you might say, down they come. And uh which is to say that uh, this they especially the guy gets his particular comeuppance. Now in Catherine Furr's um, Theophilus Cardew, the Church of England clergyman, has a mammoth fall within himself and almost outside himself. And this is how uh, he is described, uh, having found really uh, the meaning of his life and who he is, and having extraordinarily for the first time, sort of caught on to what's really real about him and where love is as opposed to utter self, uh, as I say, uh, complete self-obsession and absorption, which takes the form of a kind of ideological evangelicalism, which in his case is entirely meaningless uh, in terms of any kind of real connection with himself or people. And it's very, very beautifully stated by um, Mark Rutherford, William Hale White, because he understood about this and he still had religion. And at the end, uh, we uh, read about Mr. Cardew the following lines. Because in these novels, hope always triumphs over despair. And at the same time, it is reality. And I believe myself that despair is not reality. That despair is kind of self-imposed, projected, quote, reality. But in most cases, not all, but in most cases that if you allow hope to take action in your life without trying to control whatever it is that's happening, you are always lifted to higher ground. And it takes many, many forms, obviously. Mr. Cardew, page, again, this is a very short novel. Now this says, page 364, um, so it's a little... Um, but it's a tiny, tiny page. Be that as it may, it feels like a short novel. It's a little longer than the last. Mr. Cardew, notice Mr., <laughs> the rector. Uh, Mr. Cardew resigned his living and did not preach for many years. When pressed for an explanation, he generally gave his health as an excuse. Later in life, he took up his work again in a far distant, purely agricultural parish. But his sermons were of the simplest kind. Exhortations to pity, consideration, 
gentleness, and counsels as to the common duties of life. He spent much of his time in visiting his parishioners and in helping them in their difficulties. Mrs. Cardew, as we have said, died before him, but no woman ever had a husband more tender and devoted than hers in these later years. He had changed much, and she knew it, but she did not know exactly how, nor did she know the reason. It was not the kind of change which comes from a new theory or a new principle. It was something deeper. Some men are determined by principles, but others are drawn and directed by a vision or a face. And then something is described that it says had controlled and molded him with an all-pervading power more subtle and penetrating than that which could have been exercised by theology or ethics. That's the conclusion of this truly great, it's minor because it's not um, one that is associated in the critical mind with Barnaby Rudge, or with which is not a great novel, but it's a very wonderful novel, or say Dombey and Son, which is a great novel, and maybe even Barnaby Rudge. I think it's a great novel of its kind. I think it may, in fact, be the greatest novel of its kind, although it's always been, you know, critics will always put it in the second tier. Whatever they may say, that ending, similar to the ending of Mark Rutherford's Deliverance, the other novel, says that there is hope and there is joy and there is possibility, especially when you are brought down, 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 down. And I think I want to conclude with what is perhaps one of the most, um, one of the least uh, up hopeful endings that I know of, but I think it's immortal. As I've told you before, it was made into a very, very good movie, now available on Blu-ray. Very fine movie, because it's very uh, accurate to the source. That's why it's such a good movie. It doesn't cut any corners about the source. And uh, it's William Inge's penultimate uh, novel, um, Good Luck, Miss Wyckoff, but I'm not sure I've read the ending before. Uh, This is the ending. People keep wishing her good luck. Uh, She is, uh, in her entire life, has now been destroyed by actions that she herself has done to herself and for herself and from herself. She has been uh, completely and totally, um, dismayingly um, self-destructive, what we today call shooting herself in the foot in the very most powerful way, and must leave her home, her town, her job, her um, living, everything that is um, stable in her life at age 35, 36. She must leave everything. And it's a very, you might call it a tragic denouement, and yet here it goes. Everyone's wishing her good luck, because they don't know what to say as she leaves the town. I think it's meant to be Independence, Kansas, but in the novel it's Freedom, Kansas. She began, this is page 160, these are all short novels. Miss Wyckoff began to relax as soon as she sat down in the back seat of the taxi. She's going to a railroad station to leave forever her former life. She began to relax as soon as she sat down in the back seat, even though the sounds of the words good luck had begun to seem ominous to her. Usually the words were used to express the most commonplace sentiments that accompany a farewell. But Evelyn Wyckoff had come to realize now that the words expressed their speaker's anxiety about her. For what else could anyone reasonably wish Miss Wyckoff but good luck? Good luck constituted her only hope for the future. Wherever she went, whatever she did, she would need lots of it. Now, even when you see the movie, which has Ernest Gold's very, very muted, just, there is just a soupçon of hope within the final um, uh, good luck 
of uh, Miss Wyckoff. And you know what? That's what I'm going to play at the end. I'm not going to play Sing a Simple Song by Sly and the Family Stone, which I happen to love, nor Honey Honey by... um, by uh, Abba, important as that is, I'm actually going to play um, the New Beginning words uh, song uh, theme of uh, Good Luck, Miss Wyckoff. And I just want you to uh, uh, hear um, whether you are in the fever of life, you know, in your second or third job with little children trying to get along, this is what I'm trying to tell you is um, is is something you 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 wouldn't do poorly to listen to. It shouldn't enervate you. It should simply give you some perspective on what's actually happening. Uh, if you're in your 40s or 50s or in in the fight of your life, whether it's for your marriage or for your children's affection or your children's fight in their life, or more likely the fight in your career, the fight to be a human being of hopefulness and optimism as opposed to bitterness and dist- and and, and uh, even um, um, kind of canny realism, uh, or if you're much, much older and are kind of uh, where I am in the kind of uh, twilight of the gods, but not old, quote, end of quote, or if you're even uh, beyond uh, late middle age, um, this um, uh, podcast uh, should really be able to... Uh, to speak of the hope with which life, when it's not controlled and when it's not attempted to be manipulated or uh, inter- and no intervening. I've recently been involved in a situation where people have tried to, to, to create something that they, they didn't like, so they've tried to make an alternative to it. I'm not talking about church life, but it's a personal thing I've watched. And it's it, not only has it, in every way, has it been a mistake, but it's the consequences are rippling now. And a little like that, um, that uh, forged coupon story by Tolstoy, uh, the fact that they tried to take over because something didn't suit them is now having uh, effects on about 20 different fronts and is actually beginning to, uh, to kick back. It's extremely Extraordinarily interesting. Um, the acceptance of what is is the beginning of Miss Wyckoff's wisdom from the Psalms, and it is the beginning of uh, um, Mark Rutherford's wisdom at the end of The Deliverance, that novel, and it's the beginning of Mr. Cardew's wisdom. I certainly would want to call it the beginning of my wisdom, and I hope that it might be for you, no matter where you are in life, even the beginning of your wisdom. Talk to you soon, and God bless.